Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning here in the house. It is good to see you guys here. You guys can go ahead and be seated at home. I have a feeling you're already seated, but it is good to have a chance to connect with you. You know the, vo- uh, the part of that song that jumped out to me as we were singing it? It said, all the earth will sing your praise. And I was thinking about, we've just got a handful of us here, but I started thinking about all the different nations that are represented as first or second generation. So all the earth is singing his praise here at EHC because I know I got Barbados in the house. Can I get an amen? All right. Can I get an amen from those folks from Mexico? All right. All right. Can I get an amen from those folks from El Salvador? All right. Uh, Man, y'all help me. These Salvadorians, they're coming over here and they're taking over, right? All right. How about these Nigerians in the house? All right. That's the, that's the calmest Nigerian woo I've ever heard in my life, right? And it is good to see you guys. And I think we got a few Americans in the house. Can I get a woo-woo on the Americans in the house? All right. We got one woo-woo. Very good. There's three of us. No, I'm kidding. Hey, it is good to see you here. And uh, did I miss anybody? Did I miss anybody? I think I got everybody. Um, does, does, uh, does West Texas count as its own uh, nation? If it does, we got a few West Texans in the house. But hey, it is good to see you here. God bless you guys. It's great to see you and uh, good to be with you online or here live. So if you're here uh, IRL in real life, God bless you for being here. Matter of fact, if you would get a piece of paper and kind of sign your name, because at the end of today's message, I want to grab something and I want to give out a book that will give you an opportunity to go a little deeper in the Elijah teaching series that we've just started. So get your name and write it down. And then some of my beautiful ladies back on the back row, uh, Tori and Shelly, if you don't mind, you back row Baptist you, if you don't mind, like writing down a few of the folks in the names, every name that's on the chat Uh, If you don't mind making sure that they are included in this drawing, because anybody who's joining us live, I want to give them the opportunity to kind of follow along and go a little deeper. And yes, today is the second uh, lesson. As a matter of fact, it's called Training Grounds, Proving Grounds. It is all about Elijah and how he changed things in his time. And it is a great and encouraging thing, but it is also very challenging because it just matches so much of our world today. So I hope that you're following along. I hope that you're a part of things over the next few weeks as we look into this. And the great news is is even if you can't be with us live, unfortunately, you don't qualify to get a chance to get that book, but you can at least follow along and go a little deeper. So today, training grounds, proving grounds. Next week, we're going to talk about how problems and God's plan actually fit right together. And so uh, be here and be a part of that. If you don't know, this book is that I'm talking about that I'm going to be giving away is from the Great Lies from God's Word series by Chuck Swindoll. He has written a number of different books. There's nine of them right there on the screen. And in a lot of these gr- great books uh, can just really change your perspective on these biblical characters. I'm talking about Elijah. And uh, one of the things that he'll tell you in that book is Just right off the bat, Elijah's name alone confronts idolatry, which is a big deal. He is confronting King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and his name alone stands for Jehovah is my God or the Lord is my God. 
And uh, it is so important that we grasp that even just his name alone is speaking as an affront to King Ahab, who has taken the nation of Israel in a direction of idolatry and turning away from God. And so in 1 Kings chapter 17, part of the passage that we just read, I want to do something that is a little unexpected. And actually, I, I want to mention very quickly, I just want to say thank you so much to my daughter, Tori, who led us in worship today. She does such a wonderful job on Unfortunately, she is going to be going back to Michigan where she's going to school and uh, I'm going to be missing her, uh, but we have loved having her here during this summer and during this pandemic. Um, she has not been able to get any kind of breather at all. She's had to spend tons and tons of time with her parents. It's been the time of her life, as you can quite imagine. And uh, Tatum is also here. Maybe you mentioned or maybe you noticed my daughter Tatum on the base. And I'm going to have you come up here real quick, Tatum. Come on up here. Okay, and I'm going to have you do something. Now, let's go to this passage of scripture, and I want Tatum to do something. Can you pull up the stopwatch on this phone? It's right here. Okay, pull up the stopwatch on this phone. I believe it's there. Is it not? Maybe not. This is your phone. This is my phone. <laughs> go right there and go to the stopwatch. Now, I'm going to read this passage of scripture out loud, and then in a minute, I'm going to read the part that actually gets said into the atmosphere. Because I think as we read the scripture, sometimes we can see, oh, this is what's going on and this is all that. But it literally is an incredibly short thing that Elijah actually says into the atmosphere. It says, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, and then you see the quotes, and this I've bolded out there so you can actually see what Elijah says. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward. And for three and a half years, Elijah isn't seen again. So do you have, I believe it's up here on the screen. If you're wondering what, it probably looks just like this on your phone if you're an iPhone. But if, if you kind of just take a minute, I'm going to have that. Now I'm going to do my very best Old Testament prophet impersonation, okay? Yes, I'm already spitting just in case you're wondering to get myself in the mood. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, now, can you go back one screen there, Peter, if you don't mind, so I can make sure? I'm going to read the actual part that we know Elijah actually said out into the atmosphere, out to the people, and I want you to time me when I say it. Can you do that? Okay, you think you got it? All right, all right, so here's where we're going. Hold on. I'm going to take this, and I'm going to move it over here so I can do my Old Testament prophet voice. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Ready? Three. Two, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. 11 seconds, 11.33 11 seconds, actually. Yeah, if you could get a little more precise, I'd appreciate it. All right, so 11.33 seconds. Let's just double that and say he was more dramatic. Thank you, appreciate it, good to have you, and uh, wish you could stay as well, but you're going back to school. You, me and your mom are gonna get our house back. Amen, amen. Okay, so thank you, Tatum. I'm just teasing about the other, and Tori, I'm just teasing about that as well. But can you kind of follow along with what I'm saying? It's like out of nowhere, Elijah bursts onto the scene. He speaks one word from God, basically one sentence. It's about maybe 30 seconds at the very most, at the most extended. He's, he says these words, and maybe he's just speaking them and speaking them and speaking them over and over. But then he disappears at the word of the Lord and at the command of the Lord. And then he's not heard from again for three and a half years 
That's a lot of silence when somebody steps onto the scene, makes this bold of a declaration, and then leaves again. It is really an amazing thing. And so you can't miss this. If you do, you've missed what God is actually doing in the midst of this story. Here's this something to learn, number two, that God instructs Elijah to leave the public's view for more than one reason. God often accomplishes his work with silence. You can take the 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament as examples of how God uses silence to speak. And I just want to ask you parents now, some of you guys are actually here in the house. Do you remember when you had little bitty kids at your house and everything was fine until it got quiet, right? Can I get an amen? Like, like that's when you got nervous, right? You're, you're sitting there, you hear all this noise and chatter and blah, all going on and back, maybe even a little bit of bickering and fighting. But then when things got quiet and you knew they weren't supposed to be quiet, you probably were sitting there reading something. You, you know, you had that look on your face like, oh no, what is going on? What's happening? It's too quiet. Have you guys ever had that experience where it just feels like you need to hear something, but you don't hear it And when you don't hear it, you almost start leaning in like, hello? Is this thing on? Hello? Do you hear me? And I got to tell you something. Some of you guys have joined us, and thanks for those who did join us on Wednesday night for the Revelation Bible study. Some of you guys got a chance to meet my dad for the very first time. That was really cool. He is a great guy. He did an amazing job on Wednesday night, but I'm here to tell you, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why can't our pastor have the class and dignity and insight of his father? Well, I'm going to tell you something about this man. He seems like he's got all that stuff, but he's mean. I'm going to tell you how mean he is. Now, dad, if you're watching, just understand, but do you realize that I grew up as a pastor's son? And so you know where I wanted to sit. Like many of you, I wanted to sit all the way in the back of the worship center probably mainly because I had friends that I wanted to talk to when my dad was preaching. And so I would be sitting there and I'd be sitting back on the back pew and I'd be, you know, doing all this stuff, passing notes, flirting with girls. I mean, Shelly, I mean, you know, I only flirted with one girl my whole life and it worked. But anyway, so as I'm sitting there on the back row and everything's going on and then suddenly I realize, oh no, my dad just stopped preaching and I'd, and I'd be sitting there on the back pew, and I'd go, and I'd look up, and my dad would be sitting there, and he'd just kind of, like, he'd be holding the pulpit, like, boy, you better be glad I got a hold of this pulpit, or I'd be coming over there and grabbing you up by the ear, you know? Like, that was what he would do, and I'd just go, oh, i just kind of sink down in the pew. So he's not a nice guy. He's not a nice, he puts on a good front, I give you that, but he is not a nice guy. One time... He did not remain silent. He said, Randy Puckett, step out from that pew and come down here and sit up front with your mother. You do want to talk about the walk of shame. In the middle of a sermon, he has me get up from the back row and it's like, oh, it was like a doomed man. And I promise you, he wasn't done with what he wanted to say to me at that point. It was embarrassing enough, but it wasn't enough for dad, right? All right. So here's the truth. Sometimes silence speaks volumes to us. And you know what's amazing about silence is? Is that sometimes silence not only grabs your attention, but it also speaks to everybody a little differently. Have you noticed that? Like silence speaks to you in one way, 
And silence speaks to me and another. And silence speaks to someone else in a different way. You see, one of the things that I often try not to do, you'll even hear me say some things along the lines. I want to walk that fine line of how I apply God's truth, but I don't want to be the Holy Spirit in your life because truth be told, I don't know what you need to change. I don't know what every one of you needs to do differently to bring you into a closer relationship with God. And so it's not my job to point it out. I want to apply the scriptures, but ultimately when I apply the scriptures and we as human beings are looking for that out where it's not about us and it's about somebody else and oh, he's not talking to me, he's speaking to somebody else. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes it's good for me to not say, I don't know, you know, this thing or that thing. It's in good, instead good for me to just lay back and say, let the Holy Spirit speak to your voice. I mean, par- pardon me, speak to your heart and you listen to his voice rather than mine. Because at the end of things, God's silence speaks different things to each one of us. It's the same in this particular story that we see here. As Elijah leaves for three and a half years, there is silence there, and he's speaking to three different groups of people at very least. So I want to look at what he is saying probably to each of those three. Let's take a look. Here we go. On number one, we see that he is speaking to um, Ahab, your days are numbered. In other words, you are on my radar, and your days as king are numbered. And what else is he saying? He's saying, secondly, return to me, Israel. He's telling all of Israel, he's like, you need to return to me. And every time you go out and you pump that handle or you draw that bucket of water up from the well and you don't have the water that you need, be reminded that you left me and you need to return to me, Israel. And then thirdly, we see that you can always trust me, Elijah. He's speaking all of these things in the silence as the these three and a half years go slowly by day by day by day and the silence of God grows longer and longer and longer everybody is starting to lean in for the showdown that God has planned and it is so important Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse, uh, the, this first part here. And I want you to see this. I want you to make sure that you grasp this. When the Lord of the, where the Lord came to Elijah, he says, Leave here and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. So what is God doing as he takes Elijah off the center stage spot and puts him in hiding? Let's be very clear about this. Here's what he's doing. Let's turn to this next slide. And as you turn to this next one, he is protecting his his man. I promise you, Elijah was the most wanted man in Israel at that time, and God is protecting him. Make no doubt about it. When he says you need to hide, it's because Ahab wants your scalp. That's what's going on. He is wanting him to be hidden. And so what else is he doing? He's protecting his man, but also in this word, he says, you're going to drink from the brook. I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. And so very quickly, let's go. What else he's doing? He's providing for his man. Now, let's just make sure that we understand that God's provision has already been laid out. As he sends Elijah, it is so important for us to grasp that. Now, let's look at this, this next part here in God's work. For and on Elijah, he is mainly doing this. He is mainly preparing his man for what he wants to do. And this brings us to the big idea You and I, we demonstrate character publicly, but we have to develop character privately. I'm going to say this one more time, and I want you to make sure that you hear. 
We demonstrate our character publicly, but we develop our character privately. We cannot develop character in public. It is not something that happens because the truth of the matter is, is that we will people please. We will do things to impress other people. And that's not character. That's actions. But it is not the human being. It is the human doing. And so for us, we have to understand that every time we are moved off of a stage that feels comfortable and feels like where we ought to be, but God won't allow us to stay there. The truth is, is that God is at work doing something and he's saying, I'm doing something in your life. I'm preparing you for something more and you cannot miss this. This is true. God is constantly working on your character and mine and he's doing it in the private ways of my heart. He's doing it in the things that nobody sees and as you and I understand, eventually what is inside comes out and we cannot be people who have nothing inside and expect the outside to reflect God and God's glory or be the people that we need to be. It just cannot be that way. Can I get an amen on the, uh, here in the house, amen? And can I get an amen on the chat? Especially if you want that book, you got to show up somehow, right? Okay, so make sure. So let's go to this next slide here. And there we see... 1 Kings chapter 17 says, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine. You will drink from the brook. I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. And so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from that brook. That's why we have this raven in our, uh, in our title slide. Every time we see Elijah, we see a raven because God's provision is there to provide for us. And anywhere that God guides, God also provides. Anywhere God guides, God provides. And so let's very quickly reread something so we make sure that we do not miss this. In chapter, We looked here, and this is important, where God revealed to Elijah where his blessings would be. For Elijah to go somewhere else and expect or demand God's blessings to be there is basically comical, okay? I'm going to say that, make sure that you understand, and then I'm going to expound on this really quickly. God reveals to Elijah, you go down by the Kareth Brook because that's where I've instructed the ravens to go and feed you and take care of you and provide for you. But then... If Elijah said, you know what, I've got a perfectly good little house down in Tishbe. I'm going to go down there, Lord. And if you could just kind of send a text to the ravens and tell them to go on down to my house, that's where I'm going to be. I think it'll be more comfortable for me. I think I'm going to enjoy it a little bit better. And uh, you can just find me there, Lord, if you don't mind. Just tell the ravens that's where I'll be. Can you imagine doing that to God? I mean, it's almost a joke, right? It's a joke. And yet, why do we as modern Christians think that we can get out of God's plan for our lives, we can get out of his will for our lives, we can get in the midst and in the, the process of constantly sinning against God and then say, and by the way, God, if you don't mind, I don't want to change where I'm at to become more like you, but if you could just tell the ravens to go and provide for me and send me blessings in that place that I know I'm not supposed to be, and I know that place that you called me to go, I'm going to just kind of skip by that because I don't really feel as comfortable as I'd like to, but just send the blessings anyway. I mean, it's comical, 
But yet we do it every single day of our modern 2020 life. We disregard God. We walk away from God. We act like we pontificate to God where our blessings should be and when they should come. And then he's like, huh, I thought I was God, but I guess not. The truth of the matter is, is that when we tell God what he's supposed to do, and when we go against what God has said we are supposed to do, we have put ourselves up as God. And that's the very thing that got Satan tossed out of heaven. Let's not forget, okay? Because we don't put ourselves up as the God. We put ourselves underneath the God that we worship and that we also must obey. And that's the thing that we don't like. We don't like submission to our God. We don't like obedience to our God, but yet that is the pathway to blessing. And listen, let me tell you something. If you don't like the way that God is blessing or not blessing in your life, I can't promise. I I don't believe that God's blessings are some sort of formula where you, you know, push this button and you insert this money and you kind of shake it around and say the right words and then punch the button and you get this automatic blessing. It's not like that, but I can tell you this. You can remove yourself from the area and the path of God's blessings. Don't be surprised if that happens because just like Elijah could not say, God, text the ravens and tell them to feed me at my own house. He had to follow where God was leading. He had to follow God's plan for blessing for for him to inherit those blessings. We've got to do the same thing. And let's very quickly understand one of the things that Swindoll says in his book that I think was so good. He talks about this. Where does God usually meet us? Where does he work with us? Where does he kind of grind off the rough edges in our lives? He says, first of all, pride. Second of all, fear, probably fear of man. Third of all, it's resentment that we've allowed to build up probably because of a lack of forgiveness for someone. And then fourthly, it's long-standing habits that we have allowed to get entrenched in our lives. And so if you really look at your life and understand that God is probably at work in you and in me, this is probably one of the four areas that he's doing the most work. He's dealing with you about your pride. And that's not just pride of, oh, I'm great. It's also pride of independence saying, I don't actually need God in my life. There's fear of other people rather than fear of God. Resentment for other people because usually a lack of forgiveness and then those long-standing habits that we have allowed to stay in our lives. So we've got to do a very good job of grasping this. And don't forget, this is the big idea. You can demonstrate your character publicly, but you cannot build your character publicly. You have to do that privately. For most of us, we need to do some private work in our lives to bring us to a place where we are more like the heavenly father. If we don't, we will continue to go down a path that does not please us or please him, or nor does it bring us to a place of God's blessings. Now, can I get an amen? All right. Amen. This is true. Um, hold on just a second. Is this thing on? My silence did not get you. Can I get an amen? My, my brother uh, from, from uh, the Shiloh Tabernacle of Praise, Brother David, says, can I get a better amen? And I like that. So can I get a better amen? All right. Now, y'all are just wanting me to move on. All right, fine. I'll do it. All right. Let's take a look at this next slide here. D.L. Moody had this to say. He says, character is what you are in the dark. And then somebody wrote on Pinterest. They kind of shared it on Pinterest and tried to kind of throw on their own interpretation. It says, character is what you are in the dark when no one's watching, when nobody knows what you do or what you even think. That's your truest color right there. And this is true. Character is what you are in the dark when nobody's around and nobody's there to keep you honest. Do you stay honest? 
When nobody's there to look into your finances and your taxes, do you still do what's right? When you know you could get away with something and nobody would ever know, do you do that or do you say, no, 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 I don't want to infect my soul with that kind of sinfulness and that kind of habit that can get its clutches on me and put me in chains. Because the truth of the matter is, is that God is always at work in us, always trying his best to shape us and mold us into the thing that he desires for us to be. And speaking of molding and shaping, let's check out this kind of mini movie. It's called Clay. Let's check it out. We are like clay, static, unrecognizable, nothing. A formless mass with no direction, no purpose, no meaning. We are like clay, pliable, movable, moldable. In the hands of the Creator, we can be changed made beautiful, given life. Nothing becomes something extraordinary. The transformation takes time. The process is tedious, difficult, painstaking. But soon we see the beginnings of something wonderful. The formless takes shape. The unrecognizable finds its identity. The meaningless is given purpose. From nothing comes beauty. We are like clay, each piece different than the next, given unlimited potential in the hands of the potter. Amen. He is constantly shaping us and moving us to become more and more of what he desires for us to be. Very quickly, I want us to move on to this next thing that I don't want us to miss. And then this change that comes in Elijah's life. Let's talk about this. Don't miss this. Elijah doesn't tell or God doesn't tell Elijah what else is in store for him later or where he may have to live. God simply reveals his plan to Elijah one day at a time, one step at a time. Now, how many of you in here have ever had that experience where you know that God's not giving you everything? He's only giving you the next step, which will lead to the next step. Have you ever had that experience before? I mean, it's, it's a little nerve wracking, right? I mean, at times we would like to know all of God's plans so we can say, all right, cool, I'm going to get started on this. But the truth of the matter is, is that some of us are like those people that get on the roller coaster ride. We get in the line and right about the time it comes to the moment of truth, we're looking around. We're like, man, I never should have got in this line. Right. Or how many of you remember that I met my wife, Shelly, when I was in eighth grade, eighth grade. Yeah, I know. Oh. Right. I had a beautiful flowing mane of moulet. It's just a beautiful mullet hairstyle. I, it was just awesome. I mean, and she still married me. It's incredible. But the truth is, is that I am so glad that I did not realize when Shelly Arthur transferred in from Choctaw, Oklahoma into my class in English in eighth grade, 
that like the Lord didn't say, that's the one you're going to marry and you're going to have three daughters. I've been like, no, 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 no. I'm not even going to talk to that one, right? I'm not going to do that. I'm not starting down that path because that path leads where I'm not ready to go. I was eighth grade, man. You want to talk about, oh, anyway, man, don't get me started. All right, I'm going to keep moving. But you know what I'm saying. There are times that God only shows you enough for the next step. And then you wait, and then you wait, and then you wait, and then you realize he's illuminated another one, and you take another step. God is good that way because he is developing something within us to trust in him no matter what we see. Here's what we see. We see God and a revealing of where our foot needs to go next and where we need to stand next. And whenever he sent his young prophet, he sent Elisha down by the river and down by the brook, he did not tell him, this isn't going to be here forever. But let's stop and think about this. Elijah said, for years, you will not receive dew nor rain. So guess what tends to dry up when there's no dew and no rain? The brook that Elijah was by. And let me be very, very clear about something. Sometimes we find ourselves receiving the answer to the prayer that we have prayed and then frustrated with God that he answered our prayer because it took us in places that we did not know we needed to go. Here's what I mean. When Elijah is mentioned in James chapter 5 in the scriptures, it's pretty clear in James chapter 5 that as you look at that passage of scripture, Elijah's prayer is actually a part of this three and a half year period of drought. And so God answers his prayer and ceases to give rain. But then the very thing that he is gaining sustenance from and taking drinks from daily, it dries up. The very thing that Elijah prayed for, God answered, but then he did not realize the overflow that would cause an effect on him and in his life. It is so important that we grasp that whenever we say, God, make me more holy, one of the ways that that happens is, is in our private life, God works us over and he does a number on us. He does not let us cease. He does not let us stop. He does not let us become comfortable with the character that we do not yet have. We're comparing ourselves to others and saying, well, I'm better than my neighbor and I'm better than most of my neighbors. So I'm cool with where I'm at. And God's like, no, 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 no. I'm not satisfied until you become like me. And so God does not let us up. And we're the one who actually prayed that we would be more like him. He's answering our prayer, and then we're the one dissatisfied with the answer to the prayer when it gets played out in our lives. In this situation, Elijah is there, and he's been by the brook, and he's been miraculously taken care of by the ravens as they bring him meat and bread two times a day, and as he drinks from that water in the brook. But then when that brook dries up, you can only survive without water for a very, very short amount of time. And so God says, now that the brook has dried up, I've got step number two for you. And I'm going to just tell you real quickly this is not an easy step for Elijah. I, I know the type of man that Elijah is. He is a get it done. He is a no frills, no nonsense, no craziness. He's just all about, I'm going to do what needs to be done. And yet God says to him, I want you to go down to Zarephath. And when you go there, you're going to find a widow who will take care of you. And I could just imagine Elijah thinking in his mind, okay, probably a rich widow who's got plenty of money. She's going to take care of me. 
He walks up and he says, as we read a little earlier, as Eric read in the passage of scripture from 1 Kings chapter 17, he says, if you wouldn't mind getting me a drink, that'd be great. And oh, by the way, how about something to eat as well? I'm a little hungry. And the widow turns to him and says, I'll give you something to eat when I've got enough to eat and when I've got enough to feed my son. As a matter of fact, I've got just a tiny little bit of flour and oil. I'm gonna take it home. I'm gonna make it into the very last cake that I've got supplies for. And when this is all gone, we're just gonna shrivel up and die. That's the New Texas version, but that's basically what the widow tells him. And so Elijah has to step out in faith to cause this woman to step out in faith, if you'll remember last week's message. But what he basically says to her is he says, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to step out on faith and you honor me by giving me something to eat. But here's what the Lord says. If you will do that, then the oil will never run dry and the flour will not run dry until the time that there is rain once again in Israel. And the woman goes and takes that step of faith and Elijah calls her to a different level of trust in God. And the very thing that he asked for, the very thing that he promised takes place. And the woman at Zarephath is provided for. And isn't it interesting that he was probably like, man, I don't want to be here and be a burden. And yet when he thought he was being a burden, what he really was, was God's channel of blessings to this widow. She received enough for the entire famine where she had not before because Elijah showed up at her door, probably worried about being a burden when he was the channel of blessing. Very quickly, don't forget this. You got to be very careful labeling things burdens or blessings because the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes you think something is a burden and later you look back and you realize it was a blessing. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. How many of you guys are glad that God doesn't always answer your prayers? Now y'all are going to have to yell amen to me because I see a couple of masks out there doing this number, but I can't hear anything except for, you know, so give me something a little more. Amen. All right, very good. And you got to make up for all those folks that stayed home today. Here's what we do know, and here is what we grasp. One of the very things that has seemed to be a burden to somebody like the Apostle Paul, being thrown in jail, and yet during that time, he couldn't go. He couldn't be productive, quote unquote. He couldn't go and start another church somewhere else on missionary journey number three. But instead, he was stuck in a prison, so he began to write letters to the churches that he had already been to. And so he wrote a letter to the church at Philippi and he wrote a, church, a letter to the church at Ephesus and a letter to the church at Colossae and then a letter that's a personal letter to a man named Philemon. And all four of those are now in our New Testament Bible because Paul was taken off center stage in the busyness and set aside in a place he did not want to be. Paul was a lot like Elijah, a get it done, go getter, moving, moving, moving kind of guy. And God said, slow down, I've got something else for you to to do. And let me just be very clear. If you look at Paul, you realize and grasp that he wasn't angry. He wasn't pouting. He wasn't bitter. If you look at the words in Philippians, especially, he constantly referenced joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Go on and rejoice. Let your pleasure be known to all and all of these things. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, that's great. You know, but that's Paul. I mean, Paul was just maybe built like that. What about Joseph? I, in one of those 
past things that I spoke about and one of those other great lies from God's word series, I, t- I spoke about Joseph from dreams to destiny, that young man who was taken as a slave because of his brother selling them and he threw him into prison for two solid years. He was forgotten. But then he went one day from being a prisoner for two plus years to being in the presence of the king overnight And it happened that quickly. How is it that God's plan is so clear sometimes that he has put us in a place that felt like it was a burden and instead it was the very channel of blessings to become deeper, become more like him, to do more for him and do more in the lives of the people that we care most about. We got to be very careful about labeling things as a burden when they are actually the very channel of our blessings. And you may be thinking, well, that's great. These guys are Old Testament, New Testament people. I'm going to tell you, there's a guy named uh, Paul or John Bunyan, not Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan's the guy with the ax. This is the guy with the book. Okay. All right. You know, hey, it's early. Give me a minute here. I need some coffee. Let's go to this next slide. John Bunyan in the 1600s wrote from a prison cell in England, a book that has been a blessing to Christianity for years and years and years. It has been blessing people since the 1600s a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. And it is an amazing book all written while a man was being thrown in prison for his faith. Don't ever get too quick to get out there and label something as a burden when it might very well be a blessing. There's a poem by a woman named Ella Wheeler Wilcox. She's an American poet and author. Um, You probably have actually heard one of the lines of her poem and didn't realize it. You've heard laugh and the world laughs with you, but weep and you weep alone. You guys have probably heard that before. That was actually from one of her other um, uh, poems that she wrote. And by the way, great hat. Um, That is awesome. Uh, Not everybody can pull off a hat like that, but she does a really good job with it. But here is an incredible poem that is actually cited by Chuck Swindoll in that book, Elijah, that I'm encouraging you guys to read. It's a poem that is actually called Gethsemane. And I want to read it to you so you can grasp, because let's be very, very clear. If God did not spare his own son, if he did not spare Joseph, if he did not spare um, you know, John Bunyan, if he did not spare the Apostle Paul from going through these times where it felt like they were being pulled off the scene and going a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper in the character development uh, and the training of God, just like Elijah is, we can lose sight that God is still at work. And so in our lives, we need to be patient and understand that God is working. Here's the poem called Gethsemane. Down shadowy lanes across strange streams, bridged over by our broken dreams, and behind the misty caps of years, close to the great salt fount of tears, the garden lies Strive as you may, you cannot miss it on your way. All paths have been or shall be. They all pass through somewhere called Gethsemane. And all those who journey soon or late must pass within this garden's gate. They must kneel alone in darkness there and battle with some fierce despair. God pity those who cannot say, not mine, but thine. But only those who pray, let this cup pass And they cannot see the purpose of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, Gethsemane, God help us through Gethsemane. Now, 
I'm going to just be real personal with you very quickly as we kind of bring this to a close. I have a feeling that some of you, especially here in 2020, may be kind of dealing with some things that are hard. You've dealt with fears. You've dealt with anxiety. You've dealt with frustrations. You thought you had a plan. You thought you were even moving along with God in the things that were going on in your life. And then everything changed. For many of us, we've felt like a pause ever since the middle of March. For many of us, we're wondering and fearful about what is yet to come. I don't know where you are today, but here's what I do know. You can use this opportunity to go deeper in the things of God and know more of God. I know that sounds like a cliche. I know that sounds like a pat answer that is like, oh, just buck up and get in there and let God, you know, let go and let God. I'm not trying to give you an answer that's easy. And this is not an easy process. But here's what I will tell you. That ultimately every single thing that we face that is difficult for us can draw us into the person and the character that God wants us to have. And in every difficulty that we face, that we face with the attitude of saying, God, I know you're at work even though I can't see any further than where I'm standing right now. I'm going to trust that you have one other step for me, even though it's not yet revealed. And I'm going to trust that you're at work in the midst of my life because you are at work all the time. You never stop working in people's lives. And I'm going to trust that even if I do not see it, you are working. This is what's going on for Elijah. He is being prepared for one of the biggest showdowns in the entire Old Testament. And it's very easy to th not be aware that God is at work, but he is shaping him. And be here next week as we talk about how he is in the midst of God's plan and how these training grounds that he's in at the brook and then at the widow's house become the proving grounds of him knowing that he can trust God above all things and no matter what. Now, very quickly, here's how you apply this message. You need to look inside. And what is God hoping for you to come away with or leave behind in the midst of this 2020 and all that it has held? What is God wanting you to leave behind? And what is God wanting you to take away from all of these challenges that you have been facing in all of these crazy days of 2020? Here's what I would say. Maybe it's that area of pride. Maybe it's the area of fear or resentment or even habits. The truth is, is that God wants to continue to work in your life. And when he says, hey, I want to change you to become more like me, it may not be easy, but it is always fruitful. Others in your life will reap the benefits if you will be faithful to say, I will find what God is doing in the midst of all that I'm facing. Now, very quickly, you know that I always try to end with a message, end a message with a, a word and a kind of a story that will bring it home. Um, I don't know if you guys are fans. I know I'm old, all right? I'm just to be honest with you. I know I'm old. I know that I am probably not the coolest guy when it comes to songs that I like and artists that I follow and all that stuff. But I want to put a picture of a guy up. Do any of you guys know who that is? Any of y'all here in the house know who that is? Do y'all know? That, some of you are like, no, I don't know. A few of you guys know? That is John Mayer. That is right. That is correct. And uh, I put the guitar just so you'd make sure and know. But this is John Mayer. He is a, a pretty famous uh, artist and has been for a number of years. Back in the day, I kind of got into him with these three albums. Room for Squares was his first major album, then Heavier Things, then Continuum. 
um, and you probably heard the whole waiting for the world to change, you know, that whole thing, right? I, I sound better with my mask on. I just want you to know that. But um, in this kind of group of songs and all this stuff, he had one more that he put out. And then in the year of 2010, he had a problem. And actually, as a matter of fact, speaking of problems and what people are going through, John Mayer visited with a woman named Ellen DeGeneres, right? And uh, it was actually on a TV show. But let me read a little bit about what was said on that back in May of 2012. John Mayer is pretty serious about courting forgiveness for past transgressions. The entirety of his 2012 album yet to be released or just released is Born and Raised. It's a lengthy apology to people, mostly the females that he's wronged over the past few years. Yesterday, he took the seat opposite Ella DeGeneres to chat about his tabloid-worthy uh, exploits. He said, I was going through a very strange time and it rocketed me into adulthood. It was a violent crash into being an adult. That violent crash was the main reason that Mayer decided to leave Los Angeles and take up residence on a ranch in a particularly remote part of Montana. The question, why Montana, is the answer. It's a way to get away. And he said this, he said, you get to a certain age where you prepare yourself to be happy and you never actually get to be happy. So I went there so I could remember how to get happy. The move allowed him to focus on born and raised, but also on his own personality. For a couple of years, I was just figuring it all out and I'm glad I actually stayed out of the spotlight. Isn't this sounding a lot like Elijah? He said, I'm glad I stayed out of the spotlight. It was like, no, you idiot, go away and be 33 or 34 years old instead of trying to be 28 for the fourth year in a row. Mayer also discussed his other big problem, the fact that he currently isn't allowed to sing. Damage to his vocal cords forced him to delay the release of Born and Raised. And then another setback came from his surgery and it put an end to his summer tour before it got started. This all happened back in 2010. As a matter of fact, you probably have seen a couple of other singers that are pretty famous. Here's two of them right here. Um, Adele had the same problem. Hello, right? So thank God she got her vocal cords fixed. This is Keith Urban over here. These two people had the same problem that John Mayer had. And it's very, very interesting that the one thing that you think you can do really well and perform and do and all of these things, it was taken away from John Mayer. As a matter of fact, Reddit, there was a Reddit thread that was going on back in 2018. And the question was, is John Mayer's voice finally back to where it was? That's eight full years after being set aside and being a person who struggled to do the very thing that he thought made him special and important. Isn't it interesting that when he got into the silence and the solitude, what did he begin to do? He began to look within and work on his character development. The thing that he had papered over with activity and popularity and all these other things that we can just kind of put in the place of actually doing the hard work of developing things. And can I just tell you something? We live in a particularly hard world today because we all have a cell phone in our pocket. We all have something that can distract us in any given moment. And the truth of the matter is, is it's very difficult to do character development when you're distracted by something else. 
The truth of the matter is, is that God is wanting to do things in you and make things out of your life that you cannot grasp and develop while you are constantly distracted by everything else in this world. But in the solitude and the silence of the brook there in Kareth, and then eventually in the quietness of a woman's house with her son who is providing for him, Elijah turns from a prophet to a real live man of God. He goes through the training grounds and into the proving grounds, and he becomes what God wants him to be on the inside. It's important. And just know that what God is doing in him, he can do in you and do in me, but we've got to be ready to allow him to do that. We've got to submit ourselves to the will of God, put ourselves in that channel of blessing, even if it's difficult at times. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this truth of your word that as we look at Elijah and we grasp that you were at work in his life and you will do it again in ours. Lord, that you will be involved in drawing us into that person that you want us to be. And for some of us, we do not grasp how close to the edge we are. The silence of our family and friends has not grabbed our attention to tell us that we are on dangerous ground. But Lord, may your Holy Spirit reveal to us that it is time for us to change, for us to refuse to be satisfied with the place that we are comfortable being, and yet instead, Lord, that we would only be comfortable as you are pulling us towards yourself and as our character is more and more and more reflecting who you desire for us to be. Work in our hearts and our lives, I pray, Lord. And Lord, we know that as you have done it in other people's lives, whether it be modern people, biblical people, and all the way back to the beginning of time, that you are at work. And Lord, we would ask that you would do it for us and do it again. In Jesus' name we pray.
Lord, Father, we just want to thank you, Lord. We want to thank you for this day. We want to thank you for the message that Pastor gave us. And we know, Lord, Father, that you will never fail us. And, you know, when, when I listened to the pastor's message today, the one thing that came to mind was a quote by Dr. Martin Luther King that said, you know, faith is taking the first step, even when you don't see the staircase. See, our God has never failed us. You know, we hear this song and we sing these songs and we talk about how God never felt us. Well, if you felt like that God hasn't been there, you need to open your eyes. Because God has never felt us. If you feel like that you've never experienced how God has played in your life and controls everything and how things work out in our life and always have our good, you've never taken that first step. I just pray, Lord Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to touch us, Lord Father, in our heart and help us change our character from the inside out. Help us go in silence, Lord, and hear you so that our faith may be strengthened. And for us, Lord Father, to be able to take that step when we don't understand what that staircase looks like or where it may lead us to. Help us know, Lord Father, that when we walk in your will, will be walking in the right path. Lord Father, we ask you, Lord Father, to touch us in a way that we are convicted by the things that holds us away from you and draws us farther and farther away. Help us see those and become convicted of those and allow us to be able to loosen those strongholds so that we may get closer to you, God. Allow us to abide, to abide in you, Lord. And continue, Lord, Father, to build our faith in such an awesome God. We worship you, God, and we love you. And, Lord, Father, we just ask you, Lord, help us continue to see your miraculous ways. You've never failed us. those who uh, was watching online we appreciate you being here and uh, again don't don't just take today and walk away and just go back to life but allow God to work in you throughout the week continue to put him first continue to walk with him and to continue to end with your day with him continue to allow God to work in you all the time thank you and like we always say you just heard God's word let's go and live it thank you